Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, it's Mike Rowe, and this is episode number 190 of The Way I Heard It. And it's called, That's a Big Ash Tree. That's a Big Ash Tree. When my father said those exact words in the conversation you're about to hear, I was pretty sure he said, that's a big-ass tree, which made me laugh. Because anytime somebody describes a thing as a big-ass thing, I always imagine the hyphen not between big and ass, but rather between ass and whatever the thing is that follows it. So a big-ass truck becomes a big-ass truck, (laughs) or a big-ass house becomes a big-ass house. Or a big-ass boxer becomes a big-ass boxer. Begging the obvious questions, what exactly is an ass truck or an ass house or an ass boxer? I don't have the answers. I just know that my dad was trying to describe the size of a large ash tree that he and I were attempting to remove from the ground one day back in the summer of 1977. And the various challenges that that particular big-ash tree presented. It's just one of the many uh, delightful linguistic confusions you'll find in yet another spontaneous catch-up with my mom and dad, and another one of the many reasons this podcast is called The Way I Heard It, Not The Way It Was. Even my own dad remembers things differently than I do, which is not at all unexpected. The old man is here to help me unpack chapter 12 of my book, which I'll read for you forthwith. Chapter 12 tells the true story of another father and another son, and another miscommunication that turned out to have some very serious consequences. Big-ass consequences, you might say. Or if you prefer, big-ass consequences. <laughs> Whatever that means. The whole thing is one big-ash episode. And it all starts right now. Chapter 12. Words, words, words. George understood the consequences of words better than most. So did his son. But now, staring dumbly at the blank tombstone that would mark his boy's final resting place, George was at a loss to find the right ones. What words could possibly sum up the life of the poet that millions of people all over the world were now mourning? Loving son? That wouldn't work. Beloved husband and father? Hardly. In the end, George went with true to his own spirit. George was satisfied with those words. He hoped James would have approved. But, truth be told, approval was not something George had ever received from James, nor in fairness was it something George had ever offered his rebellious son. Indeed, Father and son hadn't spoken since the fateful day James had told the old man he was joining a band. A band? What kind of band? A rock and roll band. I'm going to be the singer. That's ridiculous, George had scoffed. Rock and roll isn't music. Besides, you can't even sing. Now, looking down upon the granite bust of the young man with the long hair and the unearthly gaze, 
He contemplated the magnitude of his mistaken assessment. George thought about the thousands of protesters who'd been galvanized by his son's words and music. He also thought about some other words, words that he'd spoken in haste six years earlier. Back then, George had been patrolling a tense and dangerous coastline in a place most Americans had never even heard of. The seas were high that evening, the fog was thick, and the radar screen showed enemy ships approaching from several directions, approaching quickly. They didn't respond to any warning or communication, so George did what he had to do, speaking the words that would change history. He said, Open fire. Those words went down to the gunners, men who, unlike George's son, were not inclined to ignore his orders. For nearly four hours, George's navy fired upon enemy ships that refused to leave his radar screen. Meanwhile, thousands of miles away in Washington, D.C., President Johnson got word of the sea battle. He interrupted all three of the networks with some words of his own. This new act of aggression on the high seas must be met with a positive reply. On national television, the president asked for and received congressional approval to retaliate, and the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was passed. Back in the Gulf, though, after the fog of war had finally lifted, George saw why the enemy ships had been unsinkable. They weren't actually there. The radar hits were not ships at all. They were anomalies brought about by bad weather and high seas or maybe a technical glitch. Whatever the cause, George had been firing into a ghost fleet. George reported the error to his commanders in Hawaii. They called McNamara immediately, but the Secretary of Defense, for whatever reason, didn't relay the message to the president. The airstrikes went off as scheduled, and just like that, we were at war with Vietnam. Oh, yes, George understood the consequences of words. Spoken in anger, they had divided his family. Spoken in error, they had divided his country. People still argue about whether his words were an honest mistake or part of a government conspiracy to push Congress into declaring a premature and completely avoidable war. Perhaps the answer to that is best addressed by the words of his son, who once wrote, There are things known and things unknown, and in between are the doors. Fitting words from a rebellious boy who remained true to his own spirit. The son, who could sing after all, and proved it by providing a soundtrack to the war his father had started. A dead poet named Jim Morrison. It was a Saturday morning. I was 14, and there was my father, standing at the foot of my bed, sharpening a double-sided axe. It's time, he said. Let's go. My father has a tendency to start conversations in the middle of sentences. He's also suspicious of anything modern, like nouns. Time for what? I knew the question was futile before I'd asked it. So, as I rolled out of bed and pulled on my jeans and my work boots, I tried another one. Is it cold out? Invigorating, he said. Your mother made oatmeal. Eat fast. 
Our Massey Ferguson tractor idled outside as we loaded up our wooden cart. Ropes and pulleys, jacks and wedges, two chainsaws and various other weapons of war. Mom added a lunchbox filled with ham sandwiches and green apples to our arsenal, along with a large thermos of coffee. It was snowing already. Try not to kill yourself, she said. Dinner's at six. I can't count the number of times that my dad and I drove the old tractor down that stone road. We'd go through the lower pasture and deep into the woods to do battle with the pine, the maple, the oak, and his favorite, the mighty locust. The hard wood puts up a tough fight, but it burns the best, he would say. The fact that we heated most of the old farmhouse with nothing but a wood stove was a source of great pride for my father and endless inspiration for witticisms like, Chop your own wood. It'll warm you twice. The man took great pleasure in finding just the right tree. What he loved even more was chopping that tree down. Although there was nothing nearby but the ground for the tree to fall on, he liked to pretend that there was. He imagined himself as the contestant on some sort of lumberjack game show, challenged, perhaps, to drop the tree between a Mercedes and a school bus full of children with nothing but inches to spare on each side. With pulleys and ropes and lots of delicate chainsaw work, he would coax the tree to the ground, determined to see it land precisely in the spot where he wanted it. Once that was done, we'd strip the limbs and the branches and cut them down to stove-length pieces, and then we'd turn our attention to the trunk, working backward from the top of the tree to the bottom. As the cuts became progressively thicker, the chainsaw whined louder and higher. Sharpen that blade, son. A dull one's twice as dangerous. I still remember how my arms shook, even after the saw had been turned off and stowed away. Hauling all that wood back to the house was a full day's work, but splitting the larger chunks into smaller pieces that would fit into our insatiable wood stove, that was a chore without end. Every day after school meant an hour up in the wood pile with Dad. I can still hear his voice as I got ready to swing the axe. Aim for the chopping block, son, not the wood. If you aim for the wood, you'll hit nothing. A smart man named Einstein once said, People love chopping wood. In this activity, one immediately sees results. Being Einstein, he was right. Chopping wood does yield immediate results. It's immensely gratifying just watching the progress unfold. But up there in the woodpile, the gratification was always delayed. Delayed because my father wasn't just teaching me how to swing that old double-sided axe. He was teaching me that work and play were two sides of the same coin. He was showing me that hard things, challenging things, could also be fun. In fact, the challenge was where the fun was. Today, I wonder, did the Morrisons have a woodpile behind their house? Some place where George could show Jim that there were dangers involved when it came to cutting against the grain? A place to illustrate the consequences of driving wedges too deeply into the stubbornest stumps? What I know from personal experience is that fathers and sons can find the right words. They can find them in the woods when they go there together to get the fuel they need to keep their family warm. Hey, are you recording on your phone? You never know when you guys are going to be interesting. We're disastrous. 
fine line, Dad, in my world yes. between interesting and disaster. Well, sometimes the really disastrous episodes are the most entertaining ones. Yes. What show are we talking about, Mom? Hmm. Are you referring to Dirty Jobs? Our or show. Just, oh, your show. Our show, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a new mattress, you know. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> oddly, I do know that. Well, I follow your wife's Facebook page. And um, yes, it sounded like you found something you liked, but what arrived was more in keeping with a yoga mat. <laughs> But then the memory foam, right, expanded, and now you're happy? Yeah, had a nice night. A lot of people who get those say it takes a week or so to adjust. But I think we adjusted, at least I did, very nicely, very quickly. I had a good night. We're a quick study. When's the last time you bought a mattress, Dad? 19, 20 it's, years ago? Yeah. <laughs> it was a beauty rest. Yeah. Yeah. And it really looked like new. The the lady at the store who sold us this mattress said, now they will not touch it if it has any stains on it. <laughs> well, our mattress was... We like, had the forensic people come in and check it out. <laughs> it was pristine. It looked like a brand new mattress, which made it really hard to get rid of. Well, you know, at your age, that's a pretty... That's a pretty big claim. 19 years and not a single stain on the mattress, Dad? Good for you. And you, Mom. Yeah. Well, I do, I'm very careful with my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a foam mattress, and last night was your first official night's sleep on it? That's correct. It was. And, and you're pleased. But Yes, but it, it was different. Memory foam, well, when you lie on it, it... It kind of leaves an indentation, the shape of your body. <laughs> so rolling over is a real chore because it's like the mattress <laughs> reaches up and grabs you and doesn't want you to move. So you have to overcome inertia in order to turn over. So it's a, it's a little well, bit know, of getting used. <laughs> I never had a problem turning over. My problem was getting into bed <laughs> well, in the first place. Moved. Yeah. In bed. Oh, I do. I move. I I sleep on my right side. I sleep on my left side. Oh, I've seen. Yeah, I didn't get sucked in. (laughs) Well, it wasn't a complaint. No, I I feel. You would say you're. He moves enough in bed, but not not a lot. Just he moves some. Just Just, enough. Just enough movement. Just right. Yeah, (laughs) that's not weird at all. Um, You know the whole mattress thing. I mean, 19 years, those things get another 20% heavier like every seven or eight years, they say. On oh, account Michael, of all the dead I skin remember, and stuff. I remember that, that episode of Dirty Jobs. It was thoroughly disgusting. <laughs> I can remember you had rubber gloves on and you were dressed like in a hazmat outfit and picking up those floppy old mattresses that were ancient and just rife with all kinds of bacteria. <laughs> had to have a new windshield put in yesterday, Mike. You are really great you with transition. change the subject. Yeah, I'd say so. All right, so we're not going to talk about the dead skin that makes mattresses weigh exponentially more 20 years later than they do when you buy them. We're going to move on to windshields. That's fine. Why'd yeah. you get a new windshield, Dad? Because I had a crack in it. They say if the crack can be covered by a dollar bill, then it can be repaired. Well, I tried a $5 bill thinking that might be a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> 
And and that wouldn't cover it. It took two five dollar bills to cover the crack. Therefore, that's ten dollars, Dad. That's a, that's a ten dollar crack right there. Therefore, the whole windshield had to be replaced. Currency in this country is all the same size, and that's not the case <laughs> all around the world. You go to Australia, you know, you some some yeah, of those bills can, are huge. They're huge things. I know. We watch a lot of British television, and those, I mean, those pound notes are enormous. Yeah. Well, you know, other people's money is a lot more fun. I mean, ours is all green and white and rectangular and of the exact same dimension. But you get over in some of these European countries, the colors are really vibrant. Down in South America, the same thing. You got pink bills and orange bills. Maybe, you know. maybe it's more difficult to counterfeit. I bet it is. Yeah. Well, we got special ink, you know, and, and special paper. Yeah. I think. It's got anyway, some fiber in it. Thank you. Uh, yes, there is fiber in the paper. <laughs> yes, there is. I'm talking to uh, the one and only John and Peggy Rowe, my parents, who have graciously agreed to join me uh, to discuss the chapter that you all just listened to. Mom and Dad, did you just listen to the same chapter? Yes, we did. Yes. And are you prepared to have an unscripted conversation about what you heard? Yes. Well, yes. (laughs) But, you know, your father, he has endless curiosity so he was motivated to read further about, is it Jim Morrison? Mm-hmm. What'd you learn, Dad? About the Morrisons? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, one thing I learned is that uh, Jim, or James Morrison, of the Doors, mm-hmm. died at age 27 mm-hmm. from either a massive overdose of heroin or from a heart attack that may have been caused by the heroin. But he was 27 when he died. There was never any reconciliation between parents and son. And there was one occasion where uh, his mother and his sister came to see a show that Jim was in. And after the show was over, the mother and sister walked up to Jim, and Jim refused to talk to her. In one of the songs that he wrote, he talked about the Oedipus angle, Mm -hmm. that his father was dead and that he was sleeping with his mother. Mm. So my impression that James Morrison was a card or two short of a full deck. (laughs) Well, he was troubled, for sure. But didn't you find it interesting? I mean, as a history teacher, a social studies teacher, I mean, I didn't... I knew a lot about James. I knew nothing about him. (laughs) You know nothing about him. But I knew nothing about George. Did you know anything about him? No, I didn't know that he was the rear admiral who ordered the firing on ghost ships. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. And the way you credit him with having started the Vietnam War, I think the son Jim Morrison was right in his attitude toward his father and the Vietnam War. 
to me, was a war that should never have been. But it wasn't just his father. You had uh, McNamara, who was hugely responsible. And later on, he wrote his, his book. I think it was Fog of War. It's a terrific book, but it's an even better documentary. It was directed by a guy named uh, Errol Morris. And yeah, The Fog of War tells that whole story. That's what had it in the back of my mind. That's why I knew that George was a key figure in this, but I didn't, I didn't realize how key. But I really didn't care about much of that. I just, I mean, it's interesting, but I like the relationship. I mean, I don't like it, but I was interested in how bad the relationship between the father and the son was yeah. and, you know, how it was never reconciled. And the idea of the old man standing there next to his son's grave trying to figure out how to sum up his life and realizing really for the first time that so many millions of people around the world loved his boy, even though he basically wrote the soundtrack for the war that his father helped start. I thought it was all kind of interesting and had something to do with you and I cutting wood. <laughs> Don't get in that, boy. <laughs> What's the matter? What do you mean, don't get into it? Well, Those were some great days. I don't know. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. Say anything you want. You're 88 years old. You're my dad. What am I going to do? Edit you? Yes. <laughs> you, <laughs> to begin with, we never owned a double-edged axe. Willie had one next door, and he used to hang it in Pop's shop. And it wasn't ours, but I thought it was better in the story. The idea of you standing at the foot of my bed holding an axe, it sounds better if it's double-edged. Now, look, you did do that. It might not have been a double-edged axe, but you absolutely came into my bedroom in the basement on more than one occasion, and you would kick the bed to wake me up, and then we would go out to work. That happened more than once. You can dream, buddy. You've got a great imagination. Mom, back me up on this. I'm sure it happened. Dad has very selective memory. Yes, I know he does. Look, we all do. That's why it's called The Way I Heard It. But the way I remember it, on more than one occasion, you would wake me up. Sometimes it was in the summer. I remember spending hours digging out roots, right? You would cut down. There was that tree back behind the house. Oh. I just remember just, just all day after day trying to pull that stump oh, out of the it ground. it took weeks to get that stump that, out of the ground. That was a big elm tree. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you looked at this thing. I mean, it's with such a weird mixture of, of delight and resentment, you know? Like, this was a challenge, and you were going to do it yourself, and I was going to assist in some small way. But I remember it was so hot. The stump was just completely intractable. And I had read somewhere about a device called a stump grinder that would simply eliminate the entire thing in about 10 minutes. We could have gotten a stump grinder and spent 10 minutes just whittling this thing down to ground level or just below it. And that would have been that. But instead, we spent a week with we, picks and you know, pulleys... How it was finally done. My good friend, Charlie Griffin, brought a come-along. Mm -hmm. And with that come-along, we finally pulled that thing out of the ground. Explain exactly what that is, Dad. You know, it's a tool with it's a pulley. A, 
Yeah, right? it, it's like a pulley, and it has a cable, and the cable you wrap around whatever it is you want to remove, and you have the other end fastened to, in this case, our tree, and then you work it mm-hmm. back and forth, like so. This is an so audio to, podcast, Dad, by the way, so when you say like so, I mean, the gestures yeah. are interesting here on Zoom, but... The folks listening are probably a bit baffled. Well, anyway, it's it's a set of pulleys. Yeah. The come along is a set of pulleys. Well, would you like to hear the way I remember it? I would, Mom, desperately. This, this was a project that interested the whole neighborhood. It went on for weeks to months. <laughs> and in the summer, the neighbors would come over, Willie and Rose and I, I guess some... Um, Russ and Fran. I mm-hmm. mean, they would all gather around. They would bring their lawn chairs and they would yeah. gather around this stump and they would watch the progress. His dad was putting water into the hole and chopping and trying to break up those roots. It was never ending entertainment. They would bring their beer and they would sit there by the hour <laughs> and talk and laugh and watch, and watch dad work on this. Yes, he could have gotten a stump grinder, but he would have deprived the neighbors of such wonderful entertainment and camaraderie. Mm. I'm sorry I didn't write about that. You know, I mean, I wrote about the business of going back in the woods and coming back with fuel for the wood stove. That, That to me was, you know, a big recurring epic thing. You did that a couple of times. I did? Yeah, not very often. Your brother Scott was yes. out there more often than you splitting wood. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I I was older, so I was gone, and you probably, yeah. I mean, he lived at home longer than I did, and he was up there. Yeah, you're probably right, but the the <laughs> the better story is the stump, this this giant stump behind our house, close to the house. And I think part of the reason you wanted it out because the roots were still growing, right? And they were getting into the foundation. They were... No, 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 no. No? The tree you're talking about is was much farther. It was closer. Actually, it was on Pop's property. Oh, that oh, one. But there yeah, was another one. one. You're right. There was that other tree off of the corner of the patio. Yes. Oh my God. That's the one. It was was on the corner of the patio, Dad. That's the first time I remember you coming down, kicking my bed, standing there with the axe, and telling me to get up. And I got out of the bed, and in the story, we go back in the woods to cut down a tree. But in real life, what happened is we went around back, and you gave me that axe, and I just started working on the roots, and you started doing whatever it is you were doing. And it just never stopped. It was the Sisyphean stump. I, I still don't know what tree you're talking about, you and Remember, Mother. Remember, um, we had planted that tree early on. That was a big, that was a big ash tree. It was an ash, and beautiful we had tree. And it and grew. I had, I had a professional. I had a professional come in and cut that tree down. Did yes. you say it was a big ass tree? It was a very big, and it was. My mistake was I planted it. Oh, a big it, ash tree. Oh, sorry. I I planted it too close to the house. Right. 
if there's a point to be made here regarding your husband, mom, it's it's the fact that we could have gotten a stump grinder. Mm. We could have done it for a modest sum. We could have saved ourselves probably a month of work. I never ever heard you say, "Dad, why don't we get a stump grinder?" Never. In some way, shape, or form, that's the only thing I've ever said to you over the last <laughs> 58 years. Why don't we do... There's Look, I can't even begin. I could write a whole separate book, Dad, on the occasions where there was an easy button and your way. And you never hit the easy button, ever. It's true, it's all, and it's still going on. Right now, Mom, what's, what's the most recent example of your husband refusing to do it the easy way. Oh my golly. Pull up a chair. Pull up a couch. What? <laughs> you. You always want to do things your way and... Oh! <laughs> she, it's her way that prevails. <laughs> you know, um, something of the Bailey? What was his name? Oh, that uh, PBS show? Yeah. Rumpold. Rumpold. Rumpold of the Bailey. He always referred to his wife as... She... She who must, must be obeyed. Be. Exactly. Yes. There she yeah. sits. Yeah, but if you know that you will ultimately obey her, and if you know that she will ultimately get her way, why put up the fight? Why not just agree and get on with your life and save everybody? Why not get the stump grinder? Okay, Mike, uh, here's an example. I talked to Chuck the other day, and we planned this Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I reminded him that your father has some hearing issues, and he said, what you need is a splitter. You go on to Amazon, and you order yourself a splitter. And he said, but you need it in two days. Um, maybe stop by Best Buy. That might be a better thing, and then you can get it right away. So yesterday... While Dad was outside with the windshield guy putting on the new windshield, I said, oh, I'm going to run across the street to the grocery store. When, in fact, I drove back to Best Buy and I picked up a splitter. Because if I had said to your dad, okay, we need a splitter, oh, we'd have been calling store after store after store to get prices. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. you'd, you'd still be shopping for a splitter. We'd still be shopping. How much was it, by the way? It was nine ninety nine. It would have been cheaper. Nine ninety nine. Oh, nine hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> it would have been cheaper on Amazon. I think they're like five, but then you have to pay shipping. Shipping, right? Yes. You know, right. Best Buy tries to compete with uh, Amazon. They really hmm. do. Everybody's trying to compete with Amazon, right? So anyway, so I got home. And I'm anxious to uh, show off my product. <laughs> took it out of the took the box out of the bag, opened the box, and it was empty. It was an empty box. Well, how's that for good shopping? The worker bringing home an empty the, box. The man in the store said, "Oh yeah, we have splitters. They're right over here. Let me get you one." I said, "Is this the only one?" He said, "Yes, this is it." Uh, so he picked up the box, handed it to me. I said, "Thank you." I took it over to check out. The girl took it from me, rang it up, <laughs> gave me, put it in a bag, gave me the bag with the empty box and the receipt, and I drove home. And, and then I had to go all the way back, rush hour traffic, 
just to get didn't it? Didn't it feel like an empty box to it you? It did, but you know what? The one that had a splitter in it felt like an empty <laughs> box. And I said to the girl, uh, I'm not falling for this again. Open that box and show me what's in there. She said, it is awfully light. She opened Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And there was the splitter. I mean, it's just a tiny thing. He told, he told Mother that... That happens. People come in and they take things out of the little boxes, put them in their pocket, and put the box back on the shelf. Oh. In other words, it was stolen. So somebody stole the splitter from the box. You bought an empty splitter box, brought it yeah. home, had to take it back. Right. So the moral of the story is nothing's easy anymore. No, but they were very nice about the The moral exchange. of the story is open the box before you leave the store. There you go. Have a look in the box. It's Check the goods before you sign on the dotted line. Metaphorically, I'll tell you what's interesting, talking about this splitter. Um, on Dirty Jobs years ago, I don't know if you remember it, Dad, but I went to a, uh, a lumber yard. It's actually, it was an operation next to a, a lumber yard where they used the scraps to make uh, shakes and shingles, mm. right, for roofs. Yeah. And they had a splitter, a log splitter. And I thought again of the woodpile when I saw this thing in action. <laughs> you know, it was like a miniature guillotine with a heavy blade. And you could put any stump, any log of any size in this thing. And it was hydraulic and you hit a button. And man, it would cut it in half and then half again and half again. And I just thought the amount of time we could have saved up in that woodpile with a splitter... <laughs> And the amount of time we could have saved in the front yard with a stump grinder would have dramatically changed our lives. I'm not sure for the better, but it would have changed things. What would we have done with that extra time? (laughs) Hmm? I don't know. I mean, this was a great time, you said. It was a great time to have words. We could exchange words together while we're chopping wood, while we're hauling wood, while we're carrying it to the house. So and apparently all of you that would have been lost. We wouldn't you're have right. had any quality time together. Yes, that you know what? When you're <laughs> right, you're right. And on, and on this, I think we do agree. I think that was the larger point I was attempting to leave the reader with in the chapter. Not necessarily the detail <laughs> regarding a double-sided axe versus a single-sided axe. But, oh, we could but come look, up but, with some other... Contradictions as well, but I. What else you have? What else did you hear in my story that didn't comport precisely with your recollection? Oh, I got an itchy back here. (laughs) I can't reach you. I'm in San Francisco. Uh Apparently, that's it. Well, whatever you're doing, it was back there, Mom. It seems to be working. (laughs) (laughs) I have to remember that. (laughs) He's like a cat with his legs up in the air. You know, it's funny. Sometimes we'll hug. And while we're hugging, we'll rub each other's backs. (laughs) And I said we're like two old horses in the pasture scratching each other's back. 
Well, thanks for that, Mom. I prefer to imagine you on your new memory foam mattress stuck in your requisite uh, <laughs> indentations, <laughs> trying to give each other a back rub while you're talking about a busted windshield. That really was amazing, Mike. Before they got here with the mattress, mm-hmm. I had gone down and opened the doors. I mean, picturing this big mattress. You know, I moved furniture out of the way. I moved a chair. I got everything all ready. And the guy comes walking in with this round thing (laughs) under his arm. And I'm thinking, oh, they must be bringing us a couple of pillows, too. So we put it on the inner spring and started unrolling it. And honestly, it was about two inches thick at the very most. Yeah. And he just flopped it on the bed, and I thought, wow, what a mistake this was. And I said, <laughs> this is not what we ordered. He, and he said, they were Hispanic, the young men who, who delivered it. Mm-hmm. He said, this, this, no, this good. This get big. He said, you, you sleep on it tonight. <laughs> and I thought, wow, it's got a long way to go. So every hour or so, we'd go walking in the bedroom. And measure it. Is it a mattress yet? Not yet. <laughs> it looked like a plowed field at one point. It was. It had all these big grooves in it where it had been rolled. It was very interesting. And they also included two pillows, which I did take a picture of, and they were like an inch thick when they came. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to be really useful pillows. Well, <laughs> today they're like nine inches. There you go. Got yourself a nine-inch pillow? I know, a little bit of air. And a memory foam mattress. There's another interesting story associated with the mattress. Do tell. The guy pulls up out front. He calls, lets us know he's here. Your mother says, oh, he's here, he's here, we have to go down. And she rushes downstairs to open the doors so the man can come in. Meanwhile, I'm upstairs... And he's called again, and I've let him know she's down there. She comes in. Because I forgot my camera. Go go downstairs. Go down. Let him in. So I go downstairs, and I'm waiting, and the truck is parked out front, and I don't see any movement, and I'm waiting. Both doors are open, cold, Mm -hmm. very cold, and I keep looking. Where are they? Why aren't they coming in? So finally, I said, I'm going to close this outside door, cut down on the cold. When they show up, then I'll open the door for them. Well, the next thing I know, here comes a guy walking by me carrying a mattress. Oh, our old mattress. He's on inside. (laughs) Inside. I said, I've been waiting for you to come in. When did you come in? I come in a while ago. I said, okay. So I come upstairs. There's the mattress on the bed. Mm-hmm. What apparently happened when excitable mom here, get downstairs, get downstairs. I went down the steps, and apparently they were coming up on the elevator at the same time I was going down the steps. So you you blame mom for telling you to get down there. Exactly. Right. And when she had already left the doors open for them, I don't know why I needed to be down there. <laughs> well, look, I mean, every day's an adventure. Some days it's a mattress. Some days it's a splitter. Well, maybe you, you can know. write about it. 
Maybe I will. Maybe that Maybe. picture's a little crooked over there, honey. Squirrel. Squirrel, Dad, over here. Yeah. Look, I, you know, when I look back at all of this, I mean, this computer, didn't I get you your first computer? Didn't I get you your first telephone with push buttons? Didn't I get an antenna that allowed us to watch TV without somebody standing there holding a piece of tin foil? Wasn't I the one who insisted you get cable so you could actually watch shows like Rumpled of the Bailey? And, and you came stuff. home one day with a microwave. Oh, you could always yeah. watch Rumpled of the Bailey without cable. Really? Without, oh, yeah. Yeah, you always had PBS without cable. Look, all I know is if it wasn't for me and your wife constantly pushing you to get a mattress or a splitter or whatever it was, where would you be right now? You, you would be making phone calls on a rotary phone. Well, wondering I said, what a computer was. I said in my book, if it wasn't for me, your father would be sitting on a stump cooking squirrel over an open fire. <laughs> and that's true. Cooking squirrels over yes. an open fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I exaggerated just a wee bit. <laughs> Maybe just a tad. Oh, but you both. Mike, you know what? I think the real sadness of that story is the failed relationship between son and parents, apparently, not just father. Yeah. But, you know, there's really no cause for that. I don't care what your differences are. I, I have friends. I mean, I know people well. I, I know at least five cases of estrangement of mm-hmm. parents and children. And I just think it's the saddest thing in the world. I don't get it. I don't. I mean, I'm sure there are reasons that people have and and they think that they're valid reasons. But I think in the end, it's just a great sadness. Well, it's the frog in the boiling water. You know, people tend to think it's it's this some something terrible happens and nobody can get over it. But it's it's usually a slight thing. And then days turn into weeks and weeks into months, and suddenly you haven't talked for a couple years, and then nobody even remembers what the problems were, and then nobody has the words to fix it. But I think, Dad, you're the smartest guy I know. Oh, get out of here with that. No, look, I'm not saying you're not deeply flawed. You are. But you are, (laughs) you know, you're, you're, you're... Boy, what a compliment that is. Smartest and deeply flawed. Well, it's two sides of the same coin. Your your specificity, your attention to detail, sometimes get in the way of the larger truth. But your basic understanding, your my, patience. They might get in the way of the larger lie. That I'm trying to compliment you if you just hush up for a moment. It's time to listen. What you what you said earlier is absolutely true and it and it is of your many great gifts, it's one of the greatest ones. But the the refusal to take a shortcut put us in constant situations where there was time to talk. Hours, days, you know, spend the time with your kid trying to get a stump out of the ground and it suddenly stops being about the stump and starts being about the two of you swinging axes and Doing whatever you can. And then sometimes the neighbors come over and they sit down and they watch. And, Mom, you're right. All of that 
seems so random and inconsequential when it happens. But when you look back at it, you know, it's it has an element of everything, including performance. We were literally, Dad, you and I were actually performing for the neighbors in some weird performance art, get the stump out of the ground thing. And it it didn't occur to me until right now that that was actually important. Well, we lived in the country. <laughs> the neighbors were desperate for diversion and entertainment. <laughs> you want to talk about trees? One of them. All right. Sure. Mattresses, windshields, and trees. We've got to land the plane here soon, though, Dad. One of the best trees we ever had <laughs> was given to us by Russ Ziegler. Mm-hmm. Our neighbor. It was a peach tree. Oh, yeah. And that peach tree was the most bearing tree. I mean, it was full of fruit. Your granddad came over and had to prop up the branches. I remember. They were hanging. The fruit was so heavy. Philip would make a couple of dollars taking peaches up on the Trump's Mill Road and selling them. (laughs) Yeah. He, he went up there at rush hour. He'd leave with like a bushel <laughs> basket, come back but with the, an empty basket, and his pockets were full of change. I think yeah. it's a, they're the best peaches I've ever eaten. You know what? You're right. And I, I forgot that it was Russ who gave us that. But I remember being surprised that you know, like we had a bumper crop one year, and we thought, wow, that, what a year this was. But year after year after year. They just, yeah. we had hundreds and hundreds of peaches off of that tree. Mom, I remember you preserving them, mason yeah. jars and all oh, that yeah. stuff. And I, I'd freeze peaches and I'd slice them and preserve them. Never. But the odd thing is, I, I've read where you have to have two trees so that they can like cross pollinate. But and, we didn't. But there was only that one tree. And um, yeah, that tree wore some. I don't know of any other peach trees in the neighborhood, but it was. Um, were really quite an asset. I mean, it wasn't much to look at, but it really did bear. <laughs> and then there was a there was that, a pear tree back in the field, and every I remember year, that too. Yeah, and every year oh, we'd yeah. wait for There's those pears. Bears. Yeah, we'd wait for those pears to get ripe, and then just when they were almost getting ripe, some animal would come along and take every one of those pears. The, tree was bare. They stripped that tree, every pear. They knew just before we were about to pick them. I think it was yeah. squirrels. You think so? Wow, they were that a busy night. Mike, how long is this going to last? I want to know if I should drink all this tea or not. Look, I'm sure the listeners are wondering, too, what few we have remaining, but um, not much longer. Okay. You know what I want to just, you know, let's close with this. I, I remember... I mean, since we're talking about the woods behind the house and the trees around the house and the house itself, you know, it's all gone now. And um, all gone. Well, the woods are still there. Dad, the woods are still there. But the last time I went back, it all just seemed so smaller, so much smaller than the way I remember it. The field seems smaller. The road seems smaller. The Hmm. woods seem smaller. The house, of course, was gone. But. You know, I think that's the way it is when we look back. Like, you go back to high school, the the halls seem smaller. Well, do you, you know? remember? We had we planted all those cedar trees. Well, there's a story behind every tree, and we had a lot of trees. <laughs> and that big so, ash tree. That was a big ash tree, no doubt about it. Ash. Ash, right. 
Great tree. Though. And Mike, remember the the uh, pine tree? Was it pine or sp- or spruce? Right on the corner of the house by by oh, the faucet. Pine. Oh, sure. It was pine, and it, it was, was pine. We planted that like five feet out from the house, and it got enormous. It was way up high. It did. Um, it did. Eventually. So we eventually had to take that down, but that was a fun trip. I took that down in pieces. I'd climb up and cut, cut a section out. I remember that, too. Until we cut it down to a manageable uh, height. Do you, think you, uh, do you think you've cut down more trees or planted more trees in your life planted more <laughs> i think i've planted more because so much of the wood we got from back in the woods was fallen timber it right. had all it had all fallen so mike mm. thanks to our fireplace and our wood stove you and dad did have quite some you have quite some memories of working together outside we do and thanks to your uh, your brother rob who made that wood stove for us, a really talented welder, yeah. iron worker. Remember, we was, it was called a Wagner. It was a Wagner wood stove. Oh, a Warner. 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 I, you, know, you know what? I was close. Double-sided axe. Could have been single. Hard <laughs> to say for sure. But, yeah, that thing, that thing sat there where our fireplace had been. And, I, and at first I was like, this is a bummer. I missed the fireplace, you know. But with the wood stove in front of it, well, things got a lot more efficient. Not not really as pretty. I mean, there was a big, giant black thing sitting right there in the middle of your room, but kept us warm. It did, and there's no heat quite like that of a wood stove. It's a dry heat, and believe me, you don't have to sit there very long before you're snoozing. Remember how the dogs used to fight over their position? Yeah. Yeah. They each wanted to be right in front of the wood stove. Yeah, and, we um, all did. Yeah. And Ginger would lie there, and she was the smaller dog, and she would feel really good about it. And Shim would walk over and just stand there and look at her. And she didn't have to do anything, and eventually Ginger couldn't stand it. She'd get up and walk away, and <laughs> Shim would lie there. Do you think we could get away with naming a dog Shim? Today? I don't know. What would be the objection? Well, I mean, remember when you brought that dog home, Dad, we couldn't decide if it was a he or a she. Right. So we called it, you know, a her or a him. So we called her Shim. And I'm just not sure, you know, the political environment being what it is today, you can... You can name a dog. Oh, oh, I see. A transgender dog. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know if we could have gotten away with that. Oh. Oh, I don't know. Well, what a great dog she was. She was. She was a good dog, Jim. Yeah. And Ginger, <laughs> the first night we had Ginger, she scared the pants off of Michael, remember? Dog nearly gave me a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My youngest brother brought home this stray and left it on the front porch, sleeping in a, a small, like a little rug set up. I came home late. It was probably 2 in the morning. I was trying to quietly get the key in the door. And that dog made us... I mean, it's a small dog, but wow. The sound that thing made sounded just like a lion or something. And I, I did. I, I jumped about a foot in the air. I didn't know what it was, but it was coming at me. And... Um, <laughs> oh, God. 
All right, look, I got to go. This has been really great, though. Thank you for uh, making some time on what I'm sure is a very hectic Saturday. How's the move coming? Do you remember Missy? (laughs) Yes, I remember (laughs) Missy. Yeah. It's interesting because there's a dog in the neighborhood also named Missy. But poor Missy, you know how she met her demise. Yes, I do. Do you really want to end this with the story of how Missy got run over? No. You just ended it that way, though. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) you you asked. The paper boy. the The damn paper boy ran over our dog. Yeah. That's how Missy, that's how it ended for yeah. Missy. That was a sad thing. It was. Yeah, it was. But we got back at him. What did we do to him? We stopped getting the paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't read to this day. I oh, know. Mm. All right. Oh, look, all right, no. Mike, wrap it up, son. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> I'll try to, not to interrupt don't, you. Don't start another all right. topic. You're the best parents ever. I miss you. I, this stupid, stupid plague thing is coming to an end. I can't wait to see you. I'm going to be back east um, in a couple of weeks. I'm going to try and get up there on my birthday if it works oh. out. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You have a birthday. We had. Uh, we yeah, had... it happens every year, Mom. Gosh, you're going to be old. Okay. So Let's I'm not going to say anything because it would just continue the conversation. I know, and we're we need to, to wrap this up. Here. Sweet Jesus. We yes. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Thank you. I love you. Final thoughts, Dad, in five seconds or less? I love you, son. There you go. Mom? Love you too, Mike. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. All right. Well, look, I, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. These are uncertain times. But, you know, between now and then, you can always call. <laughs> Fair enough. You do have our number, I believe. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Seared into my retina. <laughs> Oh, All right, my, guys. My gut. Okay. Well, you can. That's enough. In the Zoom, okay? But I want to tell you something. Okay. All right. This concludes the podcast uh, officially. If you uh, want my book, you can download it wherever people download books and listen to it. There's a paperback coming out later where you can just join us next week for another one of whatever this was. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, Mike. the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 